Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. That, that, uh, that bridge blows my mind, you know. It's, it's in the Bible in the same respect, not exactly those words, but, you know, that, that God loved us at, us at our worst. And you can imagine, there was no place that God wasn't willing to go for you. Does that blow your mind? There's no place that God is not willing to go to rescue you. I mean, that is amazing to me. Because I know me, and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm not worth it. But yet, he says, yeah, you are. And he would say that to you tonight, too. We are in our fourth week of the Asking for a Friend series. And um, I just want to give a quick announcement real quick to... uh, for, regarding next week, we won't be meeting next week on next Thursday night uh, in, in, because it's 4th of July weekend, and we figure 4th of July is on, Thursday, on Wednesday. We figure people will be maybe out of town or whatever, so we're going we're gonna to pick it back up July 12th. So uh, next week there will be no um, service, but we will pick it back up July 12th. And um, also just a couple other things. Um, you know, as we're going through these, you know, I have prepared a message, and, and essentially what I, what I want to do is communicate the message, but the point of it is that we would have conversation about it. You know, I, I would love for it to be a conversation, but we're recording it, and it's, it's streamed as well, so we want to make sure that those who are online or those who are listening later can get the continuity of the message. And so here's what I would say. If you have questions as you're going through, as, you know, you, they come to your mind as you're going through, write them down. And at the end, that's what we've been doing, is we will uh, take questions at the end. This keeps the, 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 the thought, the train of thought, which is already difficult for me, you know, uh, on task. So, uh, and, and, and hopefully it's in the same vein of being, keeping it consistent on the same topic. And then at the end, we can talk about whatever it is that, whatever questions you might have. So let's, let's do that. And uh, it, it's, been, it's been an interesting study here. You guys want some light? You need some light for some Bibles? Probably be good, you know. Be, be bumping, bumping some serious scriptures tonight. When I, when I prepare for these, I don't really prepare to try and slim down my references. So I got a reference. I got about probably 30 references tonight, which is that's why we're here, because we don't care what Tim says. We care about what the Bible says, right? So that, that's why we're here, and we want to know what the Bible has to say. Um, but these have been incredibly good questions for me, and I've enjoyed the, 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 uh, the studies of all of them. And uh, this one happens to be a, this particular topic happens to be one of them that I'm extremely passionate about, um, you know, and it, and it has a lot to do with, I think, probably my own um, uh, battle with my security and my salvation, you know. As I was growing up in Christ, I, I used to have this constant thing in my mind, like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Man, and I was always, you know, kind of looking at my life and saying, I have such desires and passion, Lord, to, to live for you, but I keep falling down. Anybody else done that before? And I see, like, Lord, does that mean I'm not saved? Do I have to go to the altar every week and get saved? Or w- what is the deal with salvation? How does it work? How, what about the blood of Christ? And I know I did a, a, some studying on that myself, and the Lord brought me to a, a particular conclusion in the scriptures as it relates to eternal security. And uh, it, it has helped me tremendously in my walk. 
with the Lord, you know, to know that, you know, as we've been studying on Sunday mornings in Galatians, last week, Galatians chapter 5, the Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. It was for freedom's sake, you know. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. And, and if you're carrying this load of constantly wondering, Lord, am I, am I in Christ? Am I out of Christ? Is it based on what I'm doing? Well, let me ask you, how did you get your salvation? It was by grace. So how do you keep your salvation then? It's not by law, is it? It's by grace. And the quicker you come to that conclusion, the more deep you can get with the Lord, I believe. I mean, God has shown me, you know, and, and oftentimes what happens in a, in a conversation when we talk about eternal security is the, the, there are extreme positions. And those positions become very, very, those people become very, very passionate because you have on the one side the person that would say, well, what, y- y- if you're secure in Christ, that means you can live your life however you want. Uh, no, that's, that's not, but, and, and they'll bring up, oh, once saved, always saved. You know, you ever, as soon as you bring up this topic and you begin to speak about eternal security, the, the, the one side that believes you can lose your salvation will automatically bring up this, oh, so once saved, always saved kind of thing, right? Number one, that's not in the Bible. And, you know, I, I don't like using terminology, uh, you know, particularly like that, that man is conjured up and it's just something we're, we're trying to you know, you know I, I get the innocence behind it and everything trying to summarize kind of what it means but but that can have that those kinds kinds of things have negative connotations and so I, I don't like to look at it like that and um, you know and then from the other standpoint if you're an eternal security person and you're you know um, and you're talking to somebody who is just completely and totally distraught you know and their friends, maybe it's a, their friend or something that has gone through something and they're saying, man, I think they lost their salvation. And you would say what to them? You'd say, actually, I don't think they were saved in the first place, right? You would say There's, they didn't have salvation in the first place. And that's, you know, these are the two kind of positions and they're, they're both on the extremes. And by the way, um, they all kind of fall in the same vein of the other two extreme positions as it relates to the sovereignty of God and the will of man. These are, you know, on one sense, you can go to the extreme position of, of speaking about eternal security in, in a Calvinistic sense. And then in the other sense, you can become very Arminian about it and make it all about man and man can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to, you know, lose his salvation, then he can because he's in control. Listen, these, these are two extreme positions. We have to get, you know, the Bible... It's fine when the Bible makes things extreme, you know, like when Jesus said, uh, you know, like, you know, cut your eye out if it causes you to sin, those kinds of things. That's an extreme statement, and the reason Jesus is saying it is because he's saying you've got to be radical with sin, right? I don't mind being extreme, but the thing is, is, is it biblical? That's the question. And um, so that's what we want to answer tonight. We want to we answer the question can we have security in our salvation? Can we know that we're saved and know that we're going to heaven? Can we rest in that? Is there assurance in salvation? Or are we constantly in this state of wondering, where am I at with you, Lord? You know, and, and so that is my, my, my goal this evening is to give you some scriptures and uh, kind of paint the picture on both sides of the fence. And, uh, and, and I'll say this, there are great arguments on both sides, to be honest. You know, um, but here's the thing, is they can't both be true. You know, they can't both be true. There, there, there's only one truth. 
And Dan and I were just talking about it in the lunch line, or in the lunch line, over in the, uh, the fellowship hall. You know, that, listen, at the end of the day, there is only one position on everything. There is only one truth. God's word is true. The Holy Spirit, his job is to lead us into what? All truth. Well, if you're led by the Holy Spirit and I'm led by the Holy Spirit and we come up to two different positions, how does that work? Well, either we're both wrong or one of us is wrong, right? Because the Holy Spirit is not wrong. His point, he, he is trying to bring us to a place of understanding. And what stops us? Our own logic, right? It, it comes back to us saying, man, I don't know if I can believe that. In fact, people have divided in the body of Christ over these kinds of things. And that's not, uh, you know, at all what God would have for us. It's okay to disagree on things. It's okay to see scriptures differently. And if it's not foundational, don't let it divide you, right? That's, that's the point. So, you know, there are a couple different positions on it. I, I kind of have already alluded to them. There is the kind of eternal security stance, which I think is a more biblical um, statement than saying once saved, always saved. Eternal security is a better way to say that. Just in case you're wondering, you can write that down and say, no, I mean, I don't mean once saved, always saved. I mean, I am eternally secure in Christ. That's what I mean. If, if you're on the other standpoint, then, then their, their uh, kind of stance is that depending on how you're living your life at any given time, you know, if there's gross sin in your life or, and they wouldn't say, they, they wouldn't say that if you sinned, then you lost your salvation, but they would say that if you are in sin, like if you're, you know, in, in the state of, you know, you, we would say, you know, from a turtle security standpoint, you would say they were backsliding, but these, this particular position would say, no, they're in sin, they've lost their salvation. They use the term out of Galatians, um, you know, I think it's chapter 4 where he says they have fallen from grace. Can we fall from grace? Is there a point in which, you know, we can sin so much that we can fall from grace? I'm going to answer that question in a minute. From the Bible, actually. There's a great scripture on that. But that's the plan is to give you enough scriptures on both sides to, to help you understand these things. Now, I like to always begin with the common denominator, Something to bring us to the commonplace. You know, whenever you're dealing with these kinds of subjects, if you're on, having a conversation with somebody on the street and, you know, they are, they are controversial and people get incredibly upset about these kind of things. So the best thing to do, you know, is to try and get on common ground. Like, let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about how we come to salvation. How, how do you believe that somebody comes to salvation. Well, you know, and both stances are on the same page. They both believe that it's by Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. It's in the Bible, right, that you have to believe upon Jesus. You have to receive him in as Lord and Savior, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And both sides of these would say, yeah, we totally believe that. Great, that's a great place to be. When you're having this conversation, let's talk about how we get saved. How do we get saved? We, 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 we come to Christ. That's how we get saved. Great. We're on the same page. You know, we believe that, you know, we both believe that Jesus paid the price for our sin, that it's by grace through faith and not works that we're saved. We believe that it was the shed blood of Christ on Calvary 
and faith in Him that gives us this glorious reunion with Christ. There's a lot of common things that both sides believe in, you know. Uh, that we, we, we believe that as a result of our salvation that we, we're not only become children of God, but we also become heirs of the glorious riches of Christ, you know. So, so no one would argue that. Neither, neither one would, would say anything different than these things. That, that we have these things in common. The question becomes then, once I'm saved, how do I maintain my salvation or do I? That, that would be the logical next question conversation? Has something changed in relation to my salvation? Is it a slippery slope? Is it something that's concrete I, that I can be sure about? And, and, and so you work from the common ground, though, and I think that's important. You work from the common ground that Jesus Christ is the premise. It's only by Christ that, that a person can be saved. Now, I think it's incredibly helpful for anyone who is having this conversation or, or having a controversial conversation with someone, not to get hyper-focused on your particular view because that basically just shuts doors, right? And, and as soon as you do that, you, you know, you essentially miss the opportunity. You know, so regardless of what you believe, I, I'm trying to help you become edifying the body of Christ in these conversations. You know, if you want to be used by God in these conversations, um, you know, be careful about how you communicate and don't be, you know, and try and see it from a different angle. I, I know when I open the scriptures and I come to, uh, you know, I, I know what I believe automatically when I'm, you know, so do you. We have these preconceived ideas that we've, who knows where we've got them, by the way. We may have heard them from somebody or, you know, we, we maybe have studied them ourselves. We don't, you know, a lot, oftentimes we, it's funny how we receive things and they're not even in the Bible. Uh, and we, we go around quoting these things, Right. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that we, 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 we get in the scriptures, that we allow the scripture to speak for themselves, and we don't get so hyper-focused on our stance that we lose the opportunity to have the conversation, okay? So, so, you know, regardless of what camp you're in, you have to realize you're not very far off in the first place. What we're talking about here tonight, to be honest, when you have a conversation with one, one side or the other, it's, it becomes semantical. It becomes semantical. It's the same thing about how we get saved. In, in some regards, some conversation, it will become about semantics, about the process of salvation, about who's responsible for what action and all these kinds of things. And then we, what happens? We, we, I think, I can't remember if it was Ironside or somebody, one of the, um, one of the theologians had said, you know, uh, oftentimes when it comes to these conversations, we should take them as a flower but oftentimes we start to pick the petals apart and then we lose the beauty of the whole meaning of everything. So be careful about that. But, but you know, you're not very far off in the first place because, again, you have the premise of Christ being the only way to salvation. And not only that, but both sides would say if someone is habitually in sin, if somebody is living a lifestyle of sin, they're not going to heaven. I don't care what side you go on. If you're, if you're of the camp, I'm, you can lose your salvation or, you know, you're of the camp that you can be eternally secure. The Bible says that if you're in habitual sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Listen, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is not an exhaustive list. 
But what he's saying is these kinds of sins, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not my opinion about this. This is what the word of God says. And both sides of the coin would see that. And, you know, and then what happens, well, well, let me give you another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And there is a litany of lists here. And what we do is hyper-focus on a couple of them. There are all kinds of things. How many of those things in that list do you struggle with? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, don't raise your hand. But you, there's, there's struggles there. I know that. But, but here's the thing. And this is what you have to understand. And this is, the, this is the place where you can really get lost in your mind and become very, very disheartened because we're sinners and we sin, right? I mean, I, I, you, you probably sin today doing something. I don't know. I probably sin today doing something. You know, my intention is not to sin, but I sin. Is this the kind of person that Galatians 5, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, that Paul is writing about? Is he talking about somebody who is, you know, trying to do their best but stumbling along the way? No. He's talking about somebody who willfully rejects the word of God, who willfully says, I don't care what it says, I'm doing it anyway, and who will over and over again, reject the word, reject the word, reject the word. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. He's talking about people who are, you know, have never really come to that place of bowing their knee, but they're trying to walk like they are, you know, Christians, but they are not Christians. They've never come to that place. They are stuck in, and, and Paul is warning Christians. He's warning them, and I think that's important to understand when we look at both sides of the coin here is that, you know, the Bible will not contradict itself. There is purpose in certain types of Scripture written speci to specific types of people. You understand? Yes, the Scriptures are given to all of us and all these kind of things, but these specific kinds of Scriptures are written to people who are, who have, who are falling into these sins as a warning. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you're saved when you're not saved. If this is your lifestyle, if you're falling into this, then the Bible says you're not going to heaven, period. It's what it says. Does it mean that if we stumble and sin that we're not going to heaven? No, it does not. Because if that's the case, we can all go home, pack up our bags because, you know, none of us would make it. That's not what it's about. But Paul is talking about habitual people. And both sides of the coin would see that. Paul is speaking, um, you, you know, so you, you, can, you have that regard. You, guys, you can have that kind of a, um, a, a conversation. Somebody might come up to you and say, hey, I, I have a friend that was saved in a, a B, VBS when they were, you know, five years old, and, and they, 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 now they're living this life of whatever. They're totally off the tracks, and they don't care about God and anything like that. Well, you have to ask the question, was their confession of faith real, profession of faith? Was it real? Was it real? I mean, isn't the Bible clear that there are those who think that they have a genuine profession of faith and Jesus is going to say, Matthew chapter 25, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are people even to this day living in the church that are part of amongst the sheep that are not saved. They're goats. And they'll be separated out. 
Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. People are deceiving themselves. The Holy Spirit will not deceive you. He will not deceive you into thinking that you have salvation. When you don't, he won't. It's the flesh that does that. Oh, you're okay. How many times does the enemy tell you that? Oh, you're okay. God doesn't care if you do that. You're saved, man. You can get away with that. Oh, yeah, I can. Whoa, be careful. The point of this kind of a scripture is, is, is not so much to scare us, but it's to warn us. There's consequences, man. And we have to, you know, that's why Paul said, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. You, you need to question yourself. Am I really saved? But there comes a point in time where you have to answer that question, yes or no, and, if, and then you have to go from there. And if you are saved, then you need to start acting like it, right? You need to say, hey, you know what? I'm a redeemed child of God. I've been set free. I don't have to live in this uh, habitual stuff. I don't have to deal with this sin in, in this way. I'm going to give this up to the Lord and I'll ask him to set me free because that's why his son came, right? So we can do these kinds of things. But, but if you're having a conversation with somebody about um, you know, a particular person and they're saying, yeah, they're, they're, they, they, they have totally gone off the rails and um, you, know, you have to ask yourself, were they saved in the first place? Did they lose their salvation or were they not saved in the first place? You know, and you can start to argue over semantics. Here's the reality in that situation. You're both saying the same thing, right? I, I'm only saying this from personal experience, that I've been in conversations with people where, you know, oh, so what you're saying is somebody can just live however they want, and, you know, they're eternally secure, and they could do whatever they want, and they're going to heaven and all this stuff. And, and I say, no. No, what I'm saying is that if somebody's in a habitual lifestyle of sin and they, they have no regard for God, that the Bible says that they won't inherit the kingdom of God, not me. That's not what I'm saying. And you're saying the same thing. You're saying they lost their salvation. They had it and then they lost it. Semantically, you know, I'm not going to say who cares, but that's irrelevant. We're saying the same thing. They're not going to heaven, period. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, I say all that to say these conversations, we need to get on common ground with people. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll just, if you're trying to convince somebody to see it your way, you'll cause division. You'll divide over, over things that don't need to be divided over. So let's look at these two main views regarding eternal security. Let's begin by looking at the one, uh, those who hold to the eternal secure view that, that you cannot lose your salvation, that once you have it, it is eternal. You can never, ever give it up. And there are a lot of scriptures that in, indicate this. The first one I want to share with you is John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29. This is probably the most I, I would say the most ironclad, uh, you know, statement as it relates to eternal security. And it's Jesus speaking, and he said uh, in verse John, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life that they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's Hand. Did you notice what Jesus says here? He will give. That's future tense. It's coming. We'll talk about that in a second, these tenses, because there's past, present, and future. But he's talking, I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. They, they will never perish. You will never perish. 
perish. That's an emphatic statement. It doesn't get any stronger than that, right? He goes on to also say that no one, that we're in his hand. Now, now this is interesting because we're in, he says we're in Christ's hand. Jesus says you're in my hand. But at the very same time, you're also in the Father's hand. It's as if the Son's hand is laying into the Father's hand and they are both clutching onto you. Who can get you out of that hand? Nobody. Nobody. You, you're, you're, in this regard, as it relates to this scripture, man, you are secure. There is no more secure place than that to be in the palm of Jesus who is also being wrapped up in the hand of the Father. There is no other, there is no greater security than that picture right there. We're doubly protected in our salvation. Primarily because of those who, you know, Jesus said, um, we are protected, the Father will protect us because we love the Son. Jesus said that our relationship to the Father has everything to do with our relationship with Him. You can't say, I don't love God, but I love Jesus. You can't say, I, I don't want to have a relationship with the Father, but I want to have a relationship with the Son, or I want to have a relationship with the Son with, or with the Father without the Son. You can't say that because everything has to do with Jesus. You know, the, Jesus said himself in John 16, 27, for the Father himself loves you, listen, because you love me and have believed that I came from God. But, but again, we can't make that, you know, a, a doctrine in and of itself, right? Through one scripture, that's not biblical, is it? Let's, let's look at another scripture. How about Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39? We're secure in Christ's hand. We're secure in the Father's hand. We, the Father loves us because we uh, love his Son. Let's look at another scripture that speaks about eternal security. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am sure, listen, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was sure about the security of the believer here. Secure. Nothing can take you out of the love of God. He loves you. And you know what? When you're in him, he's saying that you can't be separated. Now let's consider, this is a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to give a ton of them on each side. There are a ton of them, by the way. And you can look them up. But let's look at two from the other side of the coin. What does the Bible say about losing our salvation? Here's some, here's some warnings regarding someone living in sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Listen, if. That's always a, when you, that's a condition. If. You hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believe in vain. Paul, Paul seems to say here that your salvation, uh, you know, it seems like what he's saying is that uh, you're being saved if, you know, that's present tense, being saved, if you're holding fast to the word. If you're holding fast to the word. Now, I mean, that, that, that kind of startles me. If, if I'm being honest and I'm reading the scriptures, taking them plainly. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to make sure that I'm holding tightly to the word of God. 
and applying it in my life because what he's saying is if I'm not holding fast, then the alternative is I'm not being saved. That's what it, that's what it seems to say, right? He goes on to say that you would have even believed in vain. Like your belief would be empty. It would be worthless. It would have been all for nothing is what some of those who hold this view would say regarding this passage. 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will be saved, both yourself and your hearers. Uh, What is he saying? He's telling you that you must keep close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in it. It seems like it's a type of work. And if I'm persisting in it, I'm holding fast to it, and I'm watching close, then I'm good with my salvation. But if I'm not, then what? Am I saved? Is my salvation based on my ability to do these things? Here is probably one of the most difficult passages to talk about just without having the context of the verse, but when you read it straight off, if you're standing in a conversation and somebody quoted this verse and you didn't know the context of this particular chapter, you, you would be dumbfounded. Here's what it is. It's Hebrews chapter 6, and here's the verses, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 6. It says this, and this is an interesting one because I don't think it stands for either side, to be honest, but But here's what it says. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What, what is he saying here? This, this passage seems to say that someone could lose their salvation, right? That they could come to that place where they, you know, have fallen away, that they could never... Listen, not only can you lose your salvation in this passage, but you can never get it back. That's why I love to tell the folks that are on that side, oh, but this passage, if you really want to stick to your view on this passage and take it out of context in that way you have to also consider what it says at the end, that you can never be saved. You get one shot, is what this says, and if you fall away, you could never be saved again. That's what it's saying. Now, people will use these kinds of scriptures, and there's many, many more. Now, I've given you a couple different on each side, and you're, you're probably sitting there going, I don't know, which one is it, man? I mean, the Bible seems to say, Both. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No, it is not. It comes back to context. It comes back to context. And I think that that is the most important thing when you're reading the Bible is that you don't just read the one verse and make a doctrine out of it, but you read the verses before it and the verses after it, and you make sure you understand what's going on. Many, many people have made erroneous doctrines out of taking just scriptures out of context. So you have to, I I, I say it all the time, keep it in context. 
Now, these both can't be true. So one of them is a contextual issue. One of them, one view of these, you know, or, or, or both of them in some regard, have some contextual problems as it relates to what's, what the writer is trying to say when he's saying it. You know, so, so we have to keep that in mind. Now, I think the only way that we can get clarity on these two positions and the context of it all is to consider salvation itself for a moment. The Bible speaks about salvation in three positional tenses throughout the Word of God. It, it speaks about, what do I mean by that? What, what the Bible says that we, are, we have been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And there's multiple scriptures, and there's three different tenses, and there's a reason for that. Um, the, firstly, we, we're going to look at the salvation of every believer is past tense. According to Ephesians 5, 2, 5 and verse 8, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, what? You have been saved. That's past tense. You have been. Look at verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Again, th- it, this is past tense. Paul's saying that, you know, you, you have been saved here. Um, <clears throat> let's look at the, 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 the present tense in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of of the cross is fully to those who are perishing. Listen, but to us who are being saved, that's present tense, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are what? Being saved and among those who are perishing. Notice Paul says in both verses that we're being saved. Some translations are, you know, translate this are saved or still present tense. It doesn't matter how you translate it. It's still meant to be present tense. It's more of a fact than an action, really. Yet there is a third tense in the Bible as it speaks relating to salvation. This is future tense. For those who have put their faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is future tense. And it's also conditional in that specific. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. But Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.15, if anyone's, work, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And again, one last one, Acts chapter 15, verses 11, verse 11. It says, but we believe that we will be saved through, through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Our salvation is spoken of in three different tenses in the Bible. Now, what does that mean? Here's what's interesting. Is that the Greek word for every one of those tenses is the same. What does that mean? Here, here's what the Greek word is. It's sozo. Sozo is, is the Greek word, and it means this. To save, deliver, Make whole, preserve safe from danger, loss, destruction. So, in other words, if, if the, the writers of the Scripture are using the exact same word and they're using it in different tenses, but the meaning is secure. The meaning of it, in regard, regardless of the tense, he's saying that you have it. He's saying that you are guarded with it. You are saved. You are delivered. You are preserved. That's what he's saying. So that's the context of that, right? 
So the, the question becomes, you know, then what about the conditional verses? Like Matthew 10, 22, which says, you know, if, if there's an if, there's a, there's a but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So how do you deal with those kind of passages if, if, we, if, if what it seems to be that the tenses all say the same thing, that we have salvation, that it's not something based on what we're doing, but we have it, how, how, how do we deal with these other verses that seem to contradict itself? It's context. For instance, do you think for a moment Jesus is saying your salvation is based on you? Do you think that for a moment? Listen, Jesus said, I came to save sick people that can't be saved from on their own. They can't keep the law. I, I came to deliver people from bondage, to set them free, to break their chains. Do you really think that Jesus is then saying, oh, by the way, I hope it works out for you. I hope you can endure till the end. You know, no, no. What he's saying here, the context of it all, you know, is... He, he, this is identification of somebody that truly does have salvation. It's speaking in, the, in light of Jesus is saying, hold on a second. You will endure if you are saved. You will endure. I've never met a person that is secure in their salvation that just says, I can do whatever I want. I've never met a person that way. I've never met a person that understands the scriptures that says, I can, I can sin it up, man. I am under grace. I am not under law. I can do whatever I want. No, because they understand. They understand they're in a loving relationship with Christ. Their lives have changed. And when we look at these particular types of passages that have conditions set to them, and we know that, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace through faith that you're saved. And not of works, lest anyone should boast. When you take the whole Bible in context, it can't, these conditions can't mean that's, that your salvation is based on you because it was never based on you in the first place. You never got your salvation based on what you did. It was based on who you knew. It was based on Jesus. How can we be sure about this, that, you know, we can't just look at the tenses and say, okay, there's the ironclad argument for eternal security, so let's move, let's move on. No, there, what are some other things? You know, take for, for a, just for a second, if, you, if you've done any study of the Bible at all and you think about what happens when you're saved from a judicial standpoint, judicially, what happens? I mean, you know, there are things that happen in the spiritual realm even within us that we are unaware of in the sense of we don't understand them, but the Bible makes them clear that they happen. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you've become a new person. Did you know? <laughs> Did you know you were born again? The moment you came to Christ, you bowed your knee, that you literally, literally became a new person. Did you know that? Probably not, right? You're probably like, well... I, I definitely want to, maybe your desires changed and all, but you look in the mirror and you see the same person, right? Thinking, I look the same, you know, but my desires have changed. Yeah, you, you have a new, cre you're a new creation in Christ, but you've become new. You know, so, so what happens to the person who loses their salvation? Do they become unnew again? Do they, do they, how, how do you, do you go backwards? How do you get back into 
the flesh, because Jesus said the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. He told Nicodemus, you have to be born, born again. So what happens to, you know, from an eternal security standpoint is that if you're saved, you, you've been born again, you're new, you can't undo that, right? What, what about this? Th- think about this for a second. This is, a, this is also something very interesting. When you're, when you're saved, the Bible says you're sealed, when you're saved, the Bible says you're sealed. And this is, this is powerful. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Who is your guarantee? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, we're made new, and then we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit becomes an identifier. It becomes a sort of a pledge from God to you that he's going to come and get you, that you're redeemed in him. You're sealed with the Spirit of God. You have the stamp of God on you. Now, how can you, can you undo that? Can you, if you can lose your salvation, that has to be undone. That means the Holy Spirit has to be taken from you the holy spirit has to be taken from you you have to become dead again because you were made alive by the spirit ephesians chapter 5 verses 4 through 7 but god being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us even when he we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If we can lose our salvation, then positionally we get kicked out of heaven because we're positionally seated with Christ right now. How does that work? How can that happen? If we are positionally seated with Christ today, we are, the Bible says that we've been adopted. You were given a new father. You were given a new family. You became a child of God when you received Christ in your heart. You became not only a child of God, but you became an heir of Christ. That all goes away if you can lose your salvation. God has to undo that. These are judicial acts that happen in the courtroom of heaven. That, are, that cannot be undone. Um, here, here's, another, here's another serious question that we need to ask ourselves. When I, when I read my Bible, what does it say about, about sin and grace? What does it say about sin and grace and license to sin? What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul wants to make it clear. He, he's, he's talking, um, you know, to these, to these believers, and he wants them to understand that, you know, you're going to sin as a believer. You're going to blow it. But here's what he said. Don't, don't, don't allow that to become a license. And he wanted to make that clear. And I believe because it has to do with the security that Paul was trying to give us, which we'll get into in a second, but he was trying to help us to understand that we are secure but be careful that you don't fool yourself into thinking you're secure 
and then give, give yourself a license to do whatever you want, and then one day stand before God and he say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why he says this right here. But he's saying, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, what shall we say then? He's answering a question that he thinks that the Jews are going to ask him. Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. How can we who have died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul just got done saying that where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. And then he answers the question, well, if that's the case, well, let me glorify God by sinning more so that his grace can abound more. No, you missed the point. No, he, 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 he's glorified enough when we come to salvation, when our lives are changed. He's glorified far more when, we, when we're doing the right things. But here's the thing. When you stumble and fall, there's grace. There's grace. He wants you to know that if, if we can lose our salvation, then again, we become in this old dead person that, that's no longer, you know, we're no longer buried and baptized and, you know, risen with Christ and all. We're, we're, we're back to dead people. And God has to take his Holy Spirit from us. That, that would contradict John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, which says this. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, listen, to be with you only as long as you can, you know, keep my commandments. No, he says to be with you forever, forever. It's, it's a forever kind of thing. It's not something that comes and goes. If you receive the Holy Spirit, if, if he comes into you, he is with you and in you forever. You don't lose that. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but uh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not only that, but again, in Ephesians 1.14, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being our guarantee. These are the, just the tips of the iceberg, are just, just some things that you could think about as it relates to what would have to be undone in order for us to lose our salvation. You know, now, I, I want to I turn to a specific place in the Bible that I think does an incredible job with whether or not we can lose our salvation. And it's Romans chapter 5. And I, I, think, I don't think that you can, if you're going to have this conversation, you cannot have this conversation and not talk about the word justification. You can't have the conversation as it relates to salvation and whether a person, you know, can lose their salvation or whether they're eternally secure unless you understand what happened when you came to Christ. The judicial act that happened called justification. All of these other things, by the way, are just byproducts as a result of this judicial act of justification. When the gavel hit the, hit the little, you know, piece of wood in, in the heavens and God said, I declare you not guilty, that you are, uh, you know, you are forgiven, that you are righteous, you have been made righteous. That's literally what the word means, justified, to be made righteous. So I, I want to look at this because I think that there's not really, we've been talking about justification on Sunday mornings through uh, the book of Galatians, but, I, but this, is, this is one of the, one of the best, I think, places to go to understand what justification, what the result of justification is and how it relates to our salvation. There's six things that I want to show you out of, this, out of this set of passages 
that I think will help you understand, um, you know, whether or not you can lose your salvation. Now, the, it, he, he begins this statement with a therefore. And if you're a Bible student, you know, well, okay, I can't start there because he's, he's summarizing, he's getting ready to say something about something else that he just said. We always say this, when you come to a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself what it's there for. Like, where, what, what is the context? What's happening? Paul just spent chapters 3 and 4 talking about the, the reality that we are, we are justified by faith, that we are saved by faith, that just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him as righteousness, so too are you saved by faith. So he's talking in this vein. He's helping us to understand that we are made righteous by Jesus Christ and not our works. And, um, and, and so as he, as he begins to finish this up and, and he starts to speak about this justification, he, he wants us to, um, he's tying everything together here. And he wants to make it clear that, you know, uh, that justification happens by faith and not by works. He wants to make sure we understand the means of justification. The, the first thing that he wants to paint the picture of the judicial act of justification is that it brings peace with God. If you look at verse 1 there, it says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to understand what he's saying here, you have to, you have to consider the, the, the other side of it. If we aren't justified, then wh- where do we stand with God? It's a three-letter word that starts with a W. We're at war with God. We're at war with God. Well, I don't feel like I'm at war with God. I don't really feel like, like, I don't hate God or anything. I mean, I think God's kind of cool, you know, but, but I, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I like God and everything. I don't feel like I'm in war with him. No, no, you're not at war with him. He's at war with you. Don't misunderstand that. He's at war with you. But I thought God loved me. No, he does love you, but he's at war with you. Don't you understand why Jesus said love your enemies? Because he did, literally. He loved his enemies. Like, he's telling you that, listen, if you're not justified, you're at war with God. But if you're justified, then you have peace with God. You have the peace of God. You, you, you have this, the, the, this thing, you know, and, and once you come to Christ and you receive that peace that, 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 that only Christ can bring into your life, it's incredible. It's an, an incredible weight lifted off your shoulders. You finally have peace where you're just settled and you're like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that I can sleep at night. I can rest. I can know that, you know, I know for sure now where I'm going. Why? Because Jesus gave you peace with God. He gave you peace with God. That When you were justified, you were given this peace with God. How does it come? It's by faith. By faith in who? Jesus. It's by faith in what he did. Now, if we can lose our salvation again, then we lose our peace with God. And you can say like, well, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't feel at peace when I'm, <laughs> when I'm at sin. You shouldn't. And I'm glad you don't. You shouldn't feel at peace if you're living in sin. But here's the thing. Judicially, God is no longer at war with you because Christ paid the price. You know, and, 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 and I think a conscious believer would be thinking about that. And not that they don't stumble and fall, but that I think a conscious believer, someone who's been regenerated, that's born again, that has a Holy Spirit living inside of them, that, that, you know, is seated in the heavenlies with Christ, that understands, you know, what Jesus has done for him, that they would be thinking about that. 
And they would say, man, I don't want to be in that place. I've been in a place where I'm not at peace with God. I don't want to be there. I want to, it, would, it should be in a deterrent, I would think. Not something that, you know, we would willfully go and do. But nevertheless, if we can lose our salvation, then we can lose our peace with God. Which basically puts you in a state of constant panic, doesn't it? Because you're wondering, am I at peace with God? Am I not at peace with God? Am I at peace with God? Am I not at peace with God? And you've been there, I know, because I've been there. But, but there comes a time when you have to look at what the Bible says and then you have to trust it. And that's the reality. I'm not relying on myself to be justified before the Father because I can't be. So why in the world would I be relying on myself as it relates to my salvation, you know, forever, eternally? Why would I be relying on myself to hold on to it? There's nothing I can do. I'm incapable of doing that. Oh, but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Yes, but I still have this old man with me. Paul says it's the body of death, this old nature that is constant. We drag around with us, and he wants to come alive all the time. We have to fight him constantly. You are, you do have a dual personality, by the way. I hope that doesn't freak you out. You don't need pills for it. You just you need the Word of God. You can deal with it right here. You have a personality disorder, but the Lord wants to make it all right with you. And he can do that through his word. Not only do we get peace from God when we're justified, but look at verse 2. We also get continual grace through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Paul goes on to make the point that justification by faith means that we have continual grace. Continual grace. Listen, you don't just get grace till you come to Christ and then it all works, right? That, that's not how it works. You, it's never about works but you will work. It's always about grace. When you're living, he says you're standing in grace. Positionally, you never move from grace. If grace got you in, then grace will keep you in. It's grace. Now, you know how grace works? Grace can only be functional when there's sin. You understand that? Grace cannot function if there's not dysfunction. God is saying, even in your dysfunction, you have continual grace with me. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. If God, if God said, now once you've been redeemed, you now have to you know, bear the weight of the law upon your shoulders and you have to um, you know, do all these things in order to please me, you'd be buried and you'd be lost. But that's not how it works because you're positionally standing in grace always. It's God's grace. He gave it to you. I, that's why the Bible says that we can come in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, we can have confidence and boldness and we can go before the throne of grace because that's how we're relating to God and God is relating to us. That's never changed. It doesn't matter, even in justification, you are still under grace. So we stand in grace, not in our works, by faith in Christ. Listen, if we can lose our salvation, then God would have to take away grace from us. Positionally, this says that it can never be taken away, that we're standing in grace. We'll always be in grace. Thirdly, he also would have to remove hope. Look at verse 2, the rest of that verse. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put, to, put us to shame. Bible hope is not wishful thinking, folks. It is not wishful thinking. It is 100% assurance. So what Paul's saying here is that in Christ, in faith in Christ, you can have 100% assurance of what God promised you. 100%. Well, if it's based on you, then you can't have 100% assurance, right? Because you fail. I fail. But it's not based on you. It's based on Christ. And so we have, we have this continual hope. We can, we can hope for heaven because Christ paved the way for us. We can hope that we can be changed today because Christ set us free. We can hope in that in the sense of 100% assurance, like it will happen because Christ paid the price and he set us free. Now, Paul says that we can have the hope of glory. One day, we'll, we'll see the Lord in all his splendor, face to face, the hope of glory. In glory, we will see him. He will be glorified and so will you be. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Jesus paid the full admission for you. God would, if we can lose our salvation, God would have to remove our hope. He would also have to uh, remove our possession of love. Look at verse 5. At the last part of verse 5 there. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will sacredly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the most amazing passage in all of Scripture. Again, we, we talked about it, you know, as we sang about it, that there, there's no, no place that God wouldn't run after us. Why? Because he loves us. And he would go to the deepest, darkest places. And it says here that while you were in your deepest, darkest place, that's the point in which Christ said, I will die for you. And I, I, I will be pinned to the tree for you. I don't care whatever that thing is, is, whatever those things are, whatever that place might be, that series of things, whatever it is, Christ in that moment in your life said, I will pay for it. Why? Because he loves you. He, he wants you to be redeemed. But... Um, Here's what happens when we receive Christ is that then Paul says that we also receive the love of God in us through the Holy Spirit. He said in the end of verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have the, the unconditional kind of love that should be flowing through us as a result of Christ and what he's done for us. We have possession of that godly love within us. Again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the very first fruit of the Spirit. But, but Paul wants us to understand that we have, this, we, we have this love within us. If we're not in Christ and if we can lose our salvation and if our justification is based on our works, then so is our love. And so is the love that God would pour into us, right? It would have to be taken out. Listen, I can tell you that um, I wasn't a super loving person prior to coming to Christ. And neither were you probably. You know, we're all about ourselves. I, I just heard a story that, that blew my mind. And this, this shows you the nature of depravity. So someone I know was, um, I, I'm not going to give all the details, but they were in a place 
and something happened, and they were with another person, and, and uh, this person literally, I mean, they got hurt. They were in the hospital. This person literally said, you're not going to ruin my vacation. I'm leaving you, and I'm going to do this. You went with this person. What, what, what do you do? Listen, here's the thing is, that's who we are. We are selfish people. We are incredibly, in, 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 in our flesh, we are inherently selfish. The only person that we care about is ourself. But when we come to Christ, what happens? God changes our heart. We start to care about other people. We start to think about other people more than we think about ourselves. We think about how can I bless so-and-so or how can I, what can I do for this person rather than thinking about what can they do for me. All that goes away if justification isn't a sure thing. It all, you know, God, God relinquished, would have to relinquish that. Not only that, but also our certainty of, uh, of deliverance. Look at verse 9. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, I love this because it says salvation is offered through the blood of Christ and not by my works. Again, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. If we've been justified by the blood, then how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Is Jesus' blood enough? Here is the very dangerous place you have to go when you say you can lose your salvation. Christ's blood is not enough. You have to say that. You cannot deter from that. You have to say that his blood is not sufficient to pay the price for me. You have to say that, that it's Jesus plus something at that point. It is not. That's the whole point Paul was speaking about in Galatians. Is Jesus' blood enough? The Scriptures itself declare, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Where do you fit into that picture? Reception by what? By grace. Not by anything you've done. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the bloods of goals and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus, listen, securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of uh, goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. He said we have an eternal redemption. We've been bought back from eternity being separated from God to eternity of being with him, redeemed. You've been purchased through the blood of Christ, and it's by faith that we, re- we-, we cash in the ticket. In, in, in that sense. I don't want to cheapen it, but that's the only thing that came to mind. So there. Now, I, I don't think it gets any clearer than that, that we, it, where it says here, back to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that we're saved from the wrath of God. Is that temporarily saved? Are we saved today and not saved tomorrow? No, we're saved from the wrath of God. That's what it says. He, 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 here's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
Jude chapter 1, verse 24, or Jude 24, however you want to say it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He is able to keep you. Christ is able to keep you. Why? Because he's perfect. Because he was the ultimate sacrifice. And now, you know, Jesus said, all that you've given me, I have kept. I have not lost one of them. Every single one that you've given me, Father, I have kept. You're able to be kept in Christ. Christ is able to keep you because his blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin. Lastly, if you can lose your salvation, God would have to undo our reconciliation to himself. Verse 10, for, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God restored our relationship with himself, not because we were good enough, but because Christ died for us. That's why we've received reconciliation. Our, re- our relationship has been restored to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not based on you, but based on the blood of Christ. Now, if you consider all of this that's being said, then you come back to these verses and you consider, okay, am I eternally secure or am I not eternally secure? You have to make that call on your own, but I think it's clear. I think the Bible makes it plain that when somebody comes to Christ, that the judicial act of justification declares that that person is forever his. And in fact, the word is used multiple times, eternally, eternally. You have eternal redemption. You're secure eternally. It uses that kind of language. Now, how do we deal with these other passages that, that, that would say that, you know, we have to do something if we hold fast? I think we have to look at them in a different light. Number one, they're warnings. And I don't think that we ever want to take the warnings of the Bible lightly. Even if I'm a believer and I'm secure in my faith, I want to take the warnings in the Bible very seriously. Uh, you know, gee, oh, here's a great warning for you. Jesus said, any, any of you who basically call, cause any of one of his little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to tie a gigantic rock around your neck and throw yourself into the middle of the ocean uh, than, than to be caught up, you know, causing somebody to sin and then the Lord, you be left in the Lord's hands. You know, he, he says those kinds of things, the literal things. There are warnings for us. Now, is he being literal? Are we supposed to do that? No. No, but he, he is telling us, be careful. Be very, very careful about how you treat each other because it matters to me. Just as much as a parent would tell his children, you know, when they're fighting, you're like, dude, stop it. You guys are brother and sister. Knock it off. You guys should love each other, you know. But do we do it? No, <laughs> we don't. But we should. And it, God is giving us warnings. Now, it, when it comes to these conditions, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. What is that saying? I liken it as this. I think that what the scripture is declaring is more of a statement. It is a it is an identifier than anything else. It's not saying that you are um, you you have to do something in order to be saved because Christ did it all. And if Christ didn't do it all, then I'm 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 already I've already lost right. 
but, but if Christ did it all, then there is no condition for me. Remember the unconditional, remember the, the unconditional promise that God gave Abraham? It was God's, everything based on God. He, he was the only one that, that signed the deal that day, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to do all this for you. That's what God did for you in salvation. He passed through those sacrifices, and he said, I'm, condi- I'm, I'm unconditionally um, you know, giving you eternal life through my son, Jesus Christ, and you don't have to do anything. I've done it all for you. You know, you, you came by faith and you believed in my son. Now, here's, here's the identifier. You're going to change. You know, are you going to endure to the end if you're really saved? Yeah, you are. Are, are you going to want to really live for Christ if you're, if you're saved? Yeah, you are because the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying to you, live for Christ. But here's the thing. You're going to stumble along the way. And that's where, where Paul says where, grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. If we start making salvation based on our works, we're in big trouble, folks. And so when we come to scriptures like that, you know, that are conditional, that seem to say that, that our salvation is based on our works, we have to make sure we understand the context of it. And you know what? You may not have a great explanation. And you know what? I, I love what Pastor Chuck used to say all the time. He said, look, there's going to be times in your lives, whether they're personal things going on in your lives or whether they're scriptural things or whatever, but the, 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 this statement works for either way. When you encounter those things that you don't understand, fall back on those things that you do understand. When you encounter those things that you don't understand, I don't understand this scripture. It seems like it's saying I can lose my salvation. I don't understand Hebrews chapter 6. I have an explanation for it. But, but I don't know, you know, I, I believe 100% that it's not saying you can lose your salvation. But here's the thing is that I'm not just relying on what I think about the passage, but I'm relying on what I know about the rest of the Bible and what it says about salvation. So when you come to those passages in the Bible, you have to, you have to look at the rest of Scripture and you have to make that determination, you know. I personally believe that a believer cannot lose their salvation. And I, I, I make that statement all the time. And he, here's the thing that I think the Lord really cautioned me on, though, is because making that kind of a statement, you can give people a false sense of assurance. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell people, oh, you're saved, you're going to heaven. I don't know if you're saved or not. But the Bible says if you are, you're going to heaven. You know, and so that's the reality. And I think that's the danger of, of having conversations about people and their salvation is we become, we start to begin to determine whether they're saved or not. That's not my call. Listen, we have a very distinct call, folks. It's very simple. Go tell people about Jesus because salvation is based on him. And if you tell people about Jesus, then ultimately you fulfilled your job, but it is not your job to figure out if people are saved or not. Jesus said, don't tear up the, the tares from the wheat. And what he meant by that is tares and wheat look identical at a certain portion of time during their growth. But here's the thing is, the Lord will pick them out. We don't pick them out. We treat everybody, hey, we just tell everybody about Jesus. You're safe. I don't care if you're saved or not. I'm going to tell you about Jesus anyway, right? So there you have it. I think that, you know, there's many, many other scriptures we could go into, but um, uh, I think that uh, these are the bases, and it's not an exhaustive list, and you could argue this a hundred ways, but I think ultimately when you consider the word justified, 
and you consider that, that specific thing, I don't think that you can come to that conclusion. Amen? Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and love for us. And we do thank you for salvation, Lord. We thank you that by the blood of Christ, we can be redeemed, that we can be justified, we can made, be made righteous before you. We can be forgiven for our sins, Lord. And uh, we want to recognize tonight, Lord, that there is not a single thing that we can do to earn that. But the one thing that we can do is believe in Christ. And so we ask you tonight, Lord, to just give us, give us assurance of our faith. I think the Bible is clear about we can have assurance of where we sit with you. I don't think you want us in some quandary of wondering if we're saved or not, Lord. You speak directly to our hearts. And, uh, Lord, if there is a question in our own minds this evening, that you would, um, you would just help us, Lord, to just be willing to just bow the knee and just say, Lord, I, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. And, uh, um, but, but also, Lord, I, I do pray for the clarity of mind for those here in this place today that, you know, are sincere, are, have really come to Christ, but are struggling and wondering, Lord, that you give them that assurance. Only your spirit can do that, Lord. And so we just want to lift our own hearts up to you, and we ask that your spirit would just move in us. And uh, we, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather tonight, and uh, we pray that you would use this conversation, to use this information that we've received, your scriptures tonight, Lord, to stir up uh, good works within us that we would go out and just really make a difference in the world, not so much focusing on whether or not we can lose our salvation, but making sure people know that they can have it. And so fill us with your spirit. Baptize us even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.